0: Hello, I'm Terry Lee, Senior Tutor in Radio and Audio at the University of Bedfordshire, and thanks for choosing to listen to this very special episode of Fantastic Noise, recorded in February 2020 as part of the Beds Talk lecture series. focused on radio drama and had an audience of about 75 people who came along to hear the views of Jeremy Howe, editor of BBC Radio 4's The Archers, and Adam Jarrell from The Offensive podcast. I will fill some gaps when it comes to the visual parts of the talk, but for now, here's what happened when we made a fantastic noise about making radio drama. <laughs> Uh, Thank you for your time, and thanks for your ears this evening. Today, we are going to be talking about making radio drama, and I will be joined on the stage by two people who know a thing or two about doing it. Editor of BBC Radio 4's The Archers, Jeremy Howe, will be answering questions about how the world's longest-running drama, with around 19,000 episodes since 1951, does it. Uh, We'll also be joined by Adam Jarrell from The Offensive, an award-winning mockumentary podcast following fictional Premier League club Ashwood City FC. He will answer questions about the challenges of creating new audio drama and establishing an audience without a radio station backing. It's just as well they are here because I wouldn't call myself an expert in radio drama. The closest thing I have come to telling a story on the subject is when I presented breakfast um, on Future Radio in Norwich, my old radio station, we had a weekly four-minute <coughs> comedy-drama segment loosely based on Jane Hissey's Old Bear Stories, which was a book series turned into a kid's TV show. There it is. In our version of Old Bear, we completely changed the characters, made it all about a parallel bear-based world, set in Bearwich rather than Norwich, uh, and every other line had a pun with the word bear shoehorned in. It was written by my good friend and uh, my good friend Ant Jackson, who is now an online uh, article writer in California. And here is one of his more appropriate articles. How well he's done since Old Bear. Uh, we made the Old Bear stories to make points about Norwich life, to both work on our skills, him as a writer, me as an audio producer. But because ultimately. The main reason, we were big children and we thought it was funny. Uh, Here's a short clip from an episode in 2008 where we predicted the slow demise of the X Factor, or Bear Factor. Little Bear, do we have to watch this garbage?
1: It's not garbage, you get to see people's dreams come true, and cruelly dashed. It's great drama.
0: Let me see what else is on. Bridget Bear's diary? Ugh. Documentary on a panda with six legs? No thanks. No thanks. Strictly Bears dancing? I thought they only did that in Russia. Thank you for laughing a little. As you can hear from that, uh, making audio drama isn't easy. Uh, So I look forward to getting Jeremy and Adam's insights soon. Uh, Now I'm far from the first radio academic to talk about radio drama. Currently our second year radio students here at the University of Bedfordshire are being assessed on their abilities to create audio fiction. Last year, academic texts by Hugh Chignall and Leslie McMurty have been published about the history of radio drama. There's a conference this weekend, I found out, at the University of Reading, hosted by the Academic Archers. Uh, And just last week, I listened to an episode of the podcast series For Your Ears Only, all about audio drama. In the podcast, created by Brighton-based academics Martin Spinelli and Lance Dan, they delve into how podcasting has created a platform for new audio fiction and drama, although they also refer to the radio roots that these podcasts come from.
2: I, as a kid, you know, I was, I was brought up with Listen With Mother uh, and the Archer theme tune marked Bedtime at 5 past 7. And it's still kind of like, you know, my kids still know not to go into the kitchen and not talk to their mother between 5 past 7 and 20 past 7 <laughs> because I've been interpreting important uh, Ambridge information. Those of you who have never heard The Archers because you don't live in Britain, you are in for a treat when the BBC one day makes available its 75-year archive of the happenings oh, in Ambridge. It's not,
0: not quite 75 years, uh, unless there's a plan for 2026. I, I suspect there isn't. But Spinelli and Dan go on dis- to describe that uh, podcast producers are often inspired by cinema and visual forms. They also talk about the use of framing devices, which both interesting points are plenty in the context of the guests joining us for the talk today. More on that later. Uh, before we go any further, some input from you, our audience. A fantastic noise is a celebration of radio and audio. Uh, so I'm keen to find out what some of you have been listening to recently. And we have Serene on the roaming mic, and I believe she's already identified a few people who are willing to share something that they've been enjoying listening to recently.
2: Yes, hello. My name's Toby Grabb, and I'm a radio and audio student here at the university. Uh, the most recent podcast I listened to was That Peter Crouch Podcast, which starred of a sensational referee, Mike Dean.
0: Thank you. Um, Has anyone else listened to that Peter Crouch podcast? A couple of people. Thank you very much, Toby.
1: Hello, I'm uh, Jill. I work at the university. Um, I don't specifically listen to podcasts, but I listen to a lot of radio. And I have done over the years, and things like Claire in the Community. I have to admit, I've never listened to The Archers, but I was brought up on Listen With Mother. Um, (laughs) I listen to a lot of stuff like, you know, the news in the morning, Uh, The Sunday program, because it's on when I wake up. Um, So I'm perhaps a little bit different to you younger people that listen to stuff.
0: Thank you, Jill. Thank you. And and a reminder that there are plenty of things that you can be listening to, on both linear radio and podcasts. And and finally, our third contributor. Uh, What have you been listening to? Introduce yourself, please.
3: Hello, my name's Andy, and I teach television and radio at the local Sixth Form College. And uh, I... I straddle both radio and podcasting. On radio, I love Just a Minute. Um, It's one of my favorite programs, and I hope it does continue. Um, Podcast, fortunately, with Fee and Jane, um, because uh, they get the most wonderful guests on and don't allow them to be diva guests, and I like that very much.
0: Thank you, Andy, and thank you all for your contributions. Give them a round of applause, please. It's time to introduce our first guest to the stage. He's been tirelessly bringing to life the fictional folk of Ambridge since taking up the position of editor of BBC Radio 4's The Archers in 2018, after previously being the station's commissioning editor for drama and fiction. And now he's going to give us some insight as to how it's done. Please welcome to the stage, Jeremy Howe. Thank you, Jeremy, for, for coming. Uh, ultimately, Jeremy's come here from Birmingham. Despite rumours of our high-speed train line for that part of the world, and we're not quite there yet. So uh, you've found a way to Luton. We really appreciate it. Bicycle. <laughs> yes. Uh, you've got a big job, Jeremy. You're in charge of a big UK institution in the form of the Archers. I read recently um, about the BBC Sounds app specifically, 49 million downloads of the Arch has happened, I think, in the last year, as well as a linear radio listenership of millions weekly on BBC Radio 4. So knowing you were here with us this evening made me think it's important I ask you some questions that the Archers fanatics might want to know answers on. So I spoke to people I knew who were big fans, but... I also wrote to members of two of the biggest Archer's Facebook pages uh, seeking ideas. And a big thank you to the Archer's appreciation and the Archer's anonymous groups for their views. Some of them aren't safe for uh, uh, young and vulnerable people consumption. Uh, Here are a few of the comments and questions. So, at this point, I played a video I created with screenshots of dozens of the comments and questions that had been left on posts I made to the Archer's Appreciation and Archer's Anonymous groups. A couple of swear words that snuck through my edit might have also been visible at the time, so sorry about that. Also, a post that referred to the recent forest fires in Australia came up, which Jeremy is about to mention. So, uh, hundreds of responses, Jeremy. And a massive thanks to those who responded to me. Very helpful insight. Uh, Many questions I won't be asking or get the chance to ask, but perhaps our audience might try in the Q&A session at the Uh, end.
3: I I, I wasn't responsible for Australia being on fire.
0: No, no. That was was in response to something else. Uh, The Archers, Jeremy, has a huge following. So how much does the opinion of fans and listeners impact on decisions that you make for the program?
3: Well, it's not like being, I, I, once upon a time I was a theatre director and you, you, know, you stand at the back of the auditorium and you can, you can exactly gauge exactly what's going on um, with the audience. Um, so you know, if, if they've all walked out by um, the interval, you kind of need, need to do some major surgery. It's not like that because A, it's recorded in advance and B, um, so you've got a lot of responses there. Um, but the the people who the people who tweet or go on social media represent roughly about 0.01% of the audience. So you've got to be pretty careful not to be kind of um, guided by that. I mean, I think the guiding the, the the guiding force behind what we do in the Archers is um, it's about story. It's about characters, and that's what we're working on all the time. Is what would what would, what would Jim do in this situation? What would Pip do in this situation? Et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and so it's, it's, it's story-driven. But clearly, if our, if our audiences started going off a cliff, yes. um, uh, um, my, um, my, my boss, Moet Bakaio, controller of Radio 4, would go on the phone to me and say, here, what's going on,
1: mate?
0: Fair enough. So, so I'm assuming that listener feedback hasn't in your time, impacted storylines from based on that answer No,
3: we 're interested in, in listener feedback, um, and you think, oh yeah that 's interesting why haven 't we done that, etc et etc cetera, et etc it 's an organic process, but um, um, we 're not driven by um, what, what we see on social media.
0: fine. I mean one way your audience has often tried to influence decisions with the archers is by petition and, and, and if you google archer 's petition you 'll see a range of online signatures. Uh, signing up to many different views. Uh, One of my favourites that I came across was uh, this one. At this point, I am showing a slide with a petition that refers to a government-enforced 10-second gap between the Archers being started and the theme tune beginning, giving the petition creator a chance to turn off the theme music from their radios. Uh, Of course, this one was duly ignored, but it did make me think that TV and radio programmes have often updated and changed music and imaging, and yes, I'm thinking of Neighbours and the Bill from the 1990s. Uh, but do you think there's a chance that the Archers will change a theme tune or, or change something about the theme tune in the foreseeable future?
3: No.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I presume I presume that would be the response. It would be interesting though
3: to, to chat about the, the fact if that if it that ain't broke, don't fix it. The
0: omnibus mm. version has a slightly different. Yeah, variation. it does, Yeah.
3: Um, uh, I mean, things may change, um, but um, even if I was planning to change the theme tune, I wouldn't tell you.
0: No. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Jeremy, back to the everyday of, of making The arches, From story ideas to scripts to broadcast, where do you, as editor, get to input
3: the most? I mean, it's a team. And we, we, um, we work together to work out the stories. And it's a, it's a collaborative and it's a collective. We involve the writers. Um, we involve the cast, um, but but the, dri- the driving force um, are the th- me, the three producers, and the two assistant producers. All of us are story obsessed. That's that, that's, that's the key to it. I mean, it's story, story, story. In it.
0: So okay, so so how do you, how do you input personally as, as editor? Because obviously you've got the higher ranking job.
3: I sit on a vast throne <laughs> on a <laughs> dais. I mean, you know, like, and, and people come to me and suck. Supplicant. Well, sometimes I have an idea for a story um, and I'll discuss it with um, um, my fellow producers and they'll say, oh, yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Or oh, that's good or whatever and, and, and we'll work it out from there. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, a lot of it, it's it's an organic process because you're, all the time, you're, you're pushing it on and on and on and on. So, I mean, I, we, we've got a meeting next week called the Long-Term Story Conference will we be discussing where we want to take certain stories in the future? And some of those are like, one of them, is, um, well, for example, rewilding it was a great conversation I had. June Spencer plays Peggy Woolley, and um, we wanted to make her special birthday last year a big event, um, both for the archers and for her. Um, she was 100, and I asked um, I asked June, what she'd like for her 100th birthday. And she said, I'd like a booking with the archers. So I thought, yeah, we're going to give you, we're going to give you a, book a booking and a half. Anyway, around that, we invented the rewilding story, um, which had been pitched to me by one of the um, production coordinators on the archers, who's 26. And she's obsessed with, not obsessed, but she, she was interested in rewilding. We had a birthday party to launch, um, well, for, for, for June, on, on which day we launched the rewilding story. Um, and the director general, Tony Hall, came to give um, June a cake. Um, and he asked me, so this rewilding story, how long is it likely to play out for? And so I said, about 15 years. Um, at which point he thought, oh, my God. I mean, you could do that with the archers. I mean, I, I don't know. It might be decommissioned tomorrow for I know. But you kind of want to plan. It's people's lives, and they go on and on and on and on and on. So uh, uh, some of the story plans, are, you know, we, we look into the future. But actually, I mean, so um, next week, we've got a long-term meeting where we think about, the, I suppose, the medium-term stories. But the key meeting is the following week, where we have all the producers get together, we we do a thing called pickups. Where basically we just push the story on from, from where we are now okay. um, for five weeks. That's really interesting insight. Thank you. Uh, so it's step by step, yeah. by step by step, and of course you change things. Uh, I mean, a really good example of that, I think, was um, I, 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 when I arrived. I wasn't convinced that Tom and Hannah did much. It was just it was it wasn't a very interesting. Um, relationship, and there were plans to I- introduce um, uh, another character into the village, Natasha, um, and I don't know, I can't remember who it was, someone had the bright idea, well, why don't Tom and Natasha get together? And we, we developed that, and I remember I was sitting in the green room, and Wigsy, who plays Tom, and Mally, who plays Natasha, I could just see they had real chemistry, real chemistry and that uh, Mally was really pushing and, and bringing, bringing a new side out of Tom. I thought, wow, this, this is interesting. So, I mean, basically I just um, slammed um, our foot on the accelerator and within um, weeks they were, uh, they were about to get married. And that certainly hadn't been the plan three months earlier. You, you develop yeah. it as you, 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 you see how things are going okay. and you develop a, it's very organic.
0: Well, that, that's really, and it's interesting to hear that things can change that, that quickly. How many people you, you mentioned? Editors, producers, writers, cast. Roughly, how many people are we talking about that you would say are in Team
3: The Archers? Well, there are. There's me, the editor. There is a story producer whose whose main function is just sent me an email saying, "Could you read this sixty-five page novella?" I've written, which is the next story pack, and and his and, and Dave's job is is basically to create story. That's what he does all day: create story, home story, push it forward, etc., etc. Um, there are two other producers whose main job really is the script editing, and there are one point six assistant producers whose job is basically uh, and a lot of their job is to is to Make sure that um, we're 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 keeping true to the archive. That's really important, um, uh, so that you know um, Tom doesn't change his name halfway through the script pack, etc. etc. Who will do a lot of research for us, and then we have um, uh, an agricultural story advisor. And the farming is really really important to us. Interesting. And and
0: so how often? Would you get the cast together, Jeremy, to, to record The Archers? Am I right in thinking you do it in batches?
3: Yeah, so uh, the, the, the show is constructed on a five-week cycle, um, and um, through that five weeks, you're developing the next five-week script. And midway through... So um, I'm, I've just come from, from signing off the scripts for May... Um, back end of April, May, and um, at the, in the middle of March, we will record those. Um, and we record, um, uh, it's about eight, eight or nine days, and we, we record four episodes a day right. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the following Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's pretty intense. I mean, so uh, just to put that into perspective, I used to work in movies and a film, you reckon if you've got between one and two minutes of cut film um, um, in the can in a day you're doing well, we do 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's partly, it's, it's, it has to be fast because otherwise the costs would escalate. But a lot of it's that you can do, you can do it that quickly because people like, uh, June Spencer was in episode one. We're talking about nineteen thousand episodes, and she was in episode one. She kind of understands Peggy um, pretty well, so I mean, you give her notes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but she's she 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 can get there pretty fast. Wow. I worked out. Well, in fact, I have yeah, worked out. If if you do want to listen to the entire this, mm-hmm. it would only take you six months, but you couldn't have any sleep. <laughs> and by the time you'd finish that six months. There will be another four weeks episode of
0: you yes, That's a very good point. Uh, how much does actor availability then affect your storylines? Because presumably some of these actors will take on other work and, and it might. Yeah, be.
3: I, 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 it was nothing to do with me. Um, so some of you may have noticed um, that Debbie Aldridge decided to up sticks and go to Hungary. Um, it's because her career was taking off. Massively, and she still wanted to be attached to the archers, um, but her availability is uh, well. It's she's she spends half time in Hollywood, so it's quite difficult to record her. H- how how we work it out is we've got we've got a plan for a story, and immediately we then check um, are, are these actors available, and then if they are available or not available, we then start working the story around it. But most of our cast kind of want to be in the show. No, Well, that's, that's yeah. helpful for you, yeah. at yeah. least planning such things. And ju- you are juggling with 50 characters. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, but for those who aren't <laughs> as familiar with the Archers, there are a vast number of people involved on the cast. And one of those people...
3: But there are some characters who've never spoken.
0: <laughs> well, that's true as well. Uh, one of your characters, though, uh, is played by actor Ryan Kelly. Uh, he's Jazzer and he's blind in real life, Ryan Kelly, but Jazzer, the character, is not. Uh, how does that work with the production of the programme? In terms of the actor, Ryan, how does he learn his lines? How, how, how does that happen?
3: Well, I mean, the, the, the basic rule of thumb with recording a radio drama, um, the way The Arches is made, is you send the scripts out um, probably about eight days before we record as the editor, you get a bit knocked if, if you see the actors unseen the envelope as they get into the studio. And so they've done their homework, basically. Um, we make sure that Ryan gets his scripts as early as he possibly can, so he'll probably get them um, a fortnight beforehand, hot off the press, and he has to learn it. What's um, interesting is where
0: he gets really great feedback on all of the forums that you see on Facebook and things like that, um, Jazza, as a, a, a character, and therefore the actor is given universal praise. Oh, I mean, I think he's a, I think
3: he's, I think he's a brilliant invention. I think Ryan plays him superbly, um, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a cheeky chappy with a heart of gold, but endless mischief. And I think one of the, one of the things I'm proudest of since I arrived at, um, um, to to look after the show is what we've done with him and Alastair and Jim. Not only putting them together in a house, but then pursuing pursuing um, um, jim 's backstory, um, but of course, you have to be very careful with with ryan um, you, you can 't give him too much because he 's got to learn it, um, no one else learns it, and uh, of course, in the studio you 're tweaking scripts all the time, et etc, et etc um, and with ryan it's, you, 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 you try not to do that because you know, he's, he's, he's memorized it. He's a, I mean, he's, he's a most wonderful guy to work with, he's great, I mean, it, I, Ryan's, Ryan's just pure gold. Um, but I think Jazzer is, is one of my favorite characters.
0: And, and you mentioned Jim, and I'm gonna bring him up in, in a short while, but firstly, before I get there, lots of people asked me to ask you specifically about sound effects and even animal sound effects has came up a few times, but how often do the writers create scenes where new sound effects are required? How big is the existing sound effects gallery?
3: Well, the sound effects gallery is vast, and is also well-practiced. Kim, uh, one of of the three producers, is pointing out to me, if I hear that bloody cow again, because it's the same cow we recorded, I don't know, about 300 years ago. (laughs) Uh, um, So, for example um i suggested about 10 months ago that um, it would be good to have more scenes in the market because i think markets are interesting places um and they sound great we dispatched um a sound recorders um, one of the sound engineers off to go and record auctions and markets and um, you, know, you 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 get the sound effects because you know the scenes coming along it's quite rare for a writer's a, to, 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 to throw you a googly and think oh my god you've got to get that sound effect and there was one the other day where it, for some reason Tom and Natasha were getting in a taxi which was a um, Toyota Prius I don't know what um, and someone was going to go and record a Toyota Prius I don't know what and I said what's the point? They just don't even mention the name of the car just cut it out the script um, but if someone comes up with an interesting sound effect yeah we'll run with it yeah but it's not like Um, when you're producing other dramas. You kind of know what the palette of The Archers is. Um, uh, But you do try and keep it up to date.
0: Quick question as well, uh, going back to to the actors. Uh, You have some characters in The Archers uh, who are children. And and I wonder if you have children actors that uh, you would refer to. And are they the same children? Do you change them? Uh, do you do scenes with them differently when they get recorded? So,
3: the first time I met Judy Bennett, she proudly told who plays Shula, She proudly told me that she was the original Adam, um, and she played Adam until he was twelve years old, and then um, they recast it because her voice didn't break and Adam's did, I guess. And I mean that's quite quaint. But no, we use we use we use kids, mm. and of course there are all sorts of. Um, rules and regulations around recording with kids. So um, it was a very interesting conversation I had with um, Timothy Watson and Louisa, um, who plays Helen. It was when I was the commissioning editor, and it was when the the Helen Robb story was playing big. I realized neither of them had ever met Henry or Jack because they recorded at weekends um, by themselves, but they're kids, yeah, and we do change them, yeah. I mean,
0: Oh, that's interesting. At the weekends is often when you'll get the
3: children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a separate recording. We have we have we have children recording sessions. But you've got to be careful, careful how you how you write children. So um, there was there was an episode that I was looking at the other day where um, it, it seemed to me the whole thing was was dominated by a five year old child. And you think we're never going to get a five year old child to give give half of those lines? You yeah, you've got to write accordingly.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned then earlier Jim, and uh, there he is on the screen. Uh, sometimes The Archers tackles huge issues in its storyline. So domestic abuse, mental health, but recently a historic child of sex abuse uh, issue with Jim. So when you go about making these stories, Jeremy, do you seek expert advice uh, in these instances? Yeah, we
3: do a lot actually. Um, before, I was the commissioning editor. Um, but before that, I kind of specialized in, in drama documentary for television and for, for radio. And you, know, you research, you research, and you research. I have never come across a program which is as thoroughly researched in every single way um, that isn't a, um, a documentary drama as The Archers. Yeah, I mean, you... you you, you 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 do your research. You get a second opinion. You get a third opinion. Um, you speak to experts. We speak to experts all the time. And I think one of the interesting things I've I've I'm not I, I don't have a farming background. Um, um, th- th- there weren't many farms in Bexley, um, um South London um, when I was growing up. Um, but since since working on the Archers, I've been to lots of farms. And it's really interesting how just going to visit farms throws out stories all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, and you try and get those into, into the show as well. Um, but then, of course, you research them. And the agriculture story um, advisor, Sarah Swaddling, I mean, she's a, um, um, she's a journalist who works on Farming Today, um, so she really knows that side of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the... the um, um, we took so much advice on the gym storyline. Mm. And I think, I, I, I mean, you, 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 you need to tell the story you want to tell. Um, but I'd say two things. One is, um, research always takes you in interesting directions. It, it changes changes your um, direction of travel, usually for the better. Oh, why didn't we think of that? If that's, if that's what really happens, let's do that. And you do have to... You, 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 I think you've got to be very kind of um, you just need to keep on molding the story and molding the story and changing the story as the research, um, as the research um, kind of comes in. And I uh, mean, the other thing I learned I, I, I worked on EastEnders when um, uh, there was the um, cop death baby swap. Um, and that was pretty well researched, but at some point, they shifted the story away from the advice that the charity was giving them, and they didn't have cop it, they didn't have cop it, because the charity said, no, no, that's not, We we didn't advise, Um, and you just gotta be very careful.
0: I I know from from reading up on this that at least Survivors UK, one of the the charities you you liaised with on this, uh, came out and said, in a world where a survivor might feel invisible or ignored, a high-profile story such as this can really help a survivor feel like their needs and experiences are represented
3: in the public realm. So it sounds like... It's great. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, uh, so we had this notion of, of, of the Jim story uh, that um, we were floating ideas. And then we started talking to Survivors UK. And they came back to us and said, well, actually, if you do this, and um, that's a much more interesting place um, to explore um, the story, which is how we came up with, with Jim and um, the fact that he was... Um, sexually abused when he was a kid. Um, it was it was their advice mm-hmm. and our conversation with them that led us into that particular story. And I, I, I mean, I think it's um, I'm I'm really proud of that story. I, mean, I think we we did it really well. But I think one of the reasons why we did it really well is he's a bloody brilliant actor, isn't he? And you kind of think so. Why is he just a comic turn in The Archers? So we thought mm-hmm. we'd give him a bit a bit of, a bit of substrata.
0: No, yeah, and it's really sensitively done as well. The Archers, so it's been around, said, we've said this a couple of times already, but since 1951, uh, I found a clip online uh, from 1958, uh, and I thought it would be worth having a listen. So this clip from 1958, I'll cut short as it's not my material to play, but the whole episode is available on YouTube and features some fantastic singing and lots of mentions of passing sandwiches around the pub. They called for bottles of wine. I mean, what I love about that particular clip um, was that there was loads packed in there. Um, Names that are somewhat familiar as well, names like Dan Archer, Maribel, Uncle Tom, Phil, uh, actually mean something to people listening to The Archers now. I I asked my wife when I played her that clip if any of that rang any bells, and she said, Phil is spoken of, but I think he's dead now. Uh, And and so, so with such rich history in Ambridge, how, how do the scriptwriters and producers keep tabs on relationships, anniversaries, and birthdays, and such, throughout the show? You said you've got assistant producers working on it. I don't know do about
3: you, but I thought that sounded like The Fast Show. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, I mean, we've got... Uh, initially, there was a card index, which was kind of pretty, pretty effective. And about five years ago... Um, we we put the entire archive, which was a massive job, onto a thing called Story Arc, which is an online. You know, it's, it's inward facing; it's not outward facing. Um, it's just for us, um, which which basically it tells you the story of the archers in minute detail, and it's a really. It, it not only not only does it mean that we get the show right, that you, you know, the, the continuity of the show. I think is really really important. Um, um, but also, you delve into it, and you think, oh, yeah, we could do that with this. Um, but there are some, you know, there are, there are some, some anomalies in The Archers. So um, it's just when I arrived, we thought, yeah, why don't we give Alistair a birthday party? Um, and then we discovered not only did Alistair not have a birthday, no one had ever given him a birthday, but he'd never had a party, ever. I think actually, I think that, that the fact we discovered that Alistair had never had a birthday party, um, or wasn't wasn't in the archive, is actually what started us thinking along the tracks of this is what we're going to do with Jim, and so the archive is it's it's like this fantastic, it's like it's like a mountain full of gold, frankly. Okay. But I, but so going back to that, to that clip, yeah, I'm I'm sure in 1958, whenever it was, that sounded. Um, right on, on the money. I think the really important thing for me as the editor of the Archers is the Archers is about the way we live now. Mm. And it needs to be current. It needs to be topical. And I think one of the really interesting things that's happening um, in, in rural Britain in the next 18 months is there are going to be tectonic plate shifting uh, uh, the way that farming is subsidized. And that's going to change farming a lot. And we're going to be across that well, it, and,
0: and that's exactly what I was about to bring up, because in the 1950s and when it first started, The Archers was a way for the BBC to disseminate agricultural news and issues to the public. Uh, it's based around, it was based around farming, and to an extent still is. Uh, so how important is now the agricultural element of storylines? You do hear the occasional facts. As a, as a listener to The Archers, I will hear something about farming I had no idea about occasionally pop in in
3: discussion, is that something that scriptwriters are still very conscious of and consider? Oh, well, it's the bedrock. Farming is the bedrock. It's, farming is what makes Ambridge tick. And the, the, most of the big families in the Arches are farmers. So if you get your farming wrong, um, you're, you're screwed, frankly. A, because the listeners will, will, will pick you up on it. But B, that's, that's, that's where you get your stories from. Um, uh, and I think that is probably the greatest strength of the Archer, that it's, it is literally rooted, rooted in, in the land, which is what's given it, I think it's enduring appeal, is it feels accurate. Mm-hmm. And so if we, don't, if, we, if we cease to get it accurate, um, I think that's when I think listeners will tail off, because it feels, uh, it's, it's very interesting that um, Ruth, um, Ruth Jones went on Desert Island Discs, she, uh, her luxury was the entire Archer's. Um, we should keep it busy in there. But she doesn't want to be in the Archer's because for her it's real, mm. um, and Ambridge is real. And you, uh, working, working on the Archer's, you, you do enter a slightly surreal headspace, is that all, all, all my working day I'm thinking about Ambridge. And it's this weird, fantastic world of the imagination. And, and there's a real sense of, uh, is, you know, much like a vicar. You know, a, a vicar is a parish is the, is the vicar of a parish church for a certain period of time, and then he hands it on to somebody else. And you go into a church um, in England, and you you can see the list of vicars going back to twelve sixteen or whatever. And I think, in a way, that's that's what my my job in the arches is I'm here to um, to mind the shop for a certain period. And so you're incredibly aware, I think, of of Handling it, handling it carefully so that you can bequeath it to somebody else. But what you don't want to think is this is this is the crown jewels. I can't do anything with it because if you do nothing with it, it just becomes a relic. Mm. Um, the, the you know so you've got this you, you've got this weird kind of it's not a burden but this responsibility to, to keep the program as it was and change it at the same time.
0: Well, then bearing that in mind, it presumably. You're thinking about big changes uh, potentially next year because in 2011, on the 60th anniversary, Nigel Pargeter dramatically died falling off a roof, and uh, that roof sounded like it was quite a long way up, if I remember correctly. I
3: think you, I think we worked out that that um, it uh, I, no, it was more or less on reading before we worked out that it was something like 40 stories high. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Whilst he was, I think it was taking down Christmas decorations or something. I can't remember. But I wonder. Is there a big storyline lined up for next year's 70th
3: anniversary? Yeah, I think I think what will happen is that we'll discover that Nigel never died. <laughs> now, some of that last statement wasn't totally true. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do for the 70th. What I thought was brilliant, though, was for the 65th, um, Sean O'Connor, who was the Editor who wasn't scared of a big story. Um, Robin Helen was 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 his story. Um, the episode was um, David and Ruth discussing dairy farming, and I thought that was really bold. I was re- that I thought that's clever. That's clever. I don't know. Ask me on January the second next year what okay. we're going to do for the 70th yeah. birthday, because you'll have heard it.
0: Brilliant, uh, Jeremy. Thank you for your time. Do stay with us. But if anyone in the audience was keen to ask Jeremy something, your time will come at the end. But for now, let's give a round of applause for editor of The Archers, Jeremy (laughs) Howe. So it's uh, now time to introduce another audio drama producer to the stage. He's the co-creator of the award-winning football comedy series, The Offensive, which has been available as a podcast for a season and a half. Uh, how does podcast drama differ from radio drama? Let's find out. Please welcome to the stage, Adam Jarrell. So, uh, Adam, this is Jeremy, and uh, thanks for being here today. Pleasure, thanks for having me. Uh, for a while, it looked like you wouldn't be here, but your presence is actually a rare good news story brought to us by the coronavirus, I, I know, believe. know, I know. How did that come about? I was out in, at this uh, point, Jeremy moves his chair <laughs> away from Adam.
2: i better not sneeze. And I was out, I make my living as a singer, as an actor and a singer, and I was out on a cruise ship, and I was supposed to be in Bangkok at the moment, but the ship isn't sailing, so I'm here, and if I sneeze, run. So yeah, I'm, I'm here, and I'm happy to be here.
0: And thank you for being here. Um, Adam, the offensive, how would you explain it to someone who hasn't come across it before?
2: All oh, right, it's a mockumentary. Uh, It's basically—I don't think Joel won't mind me saying—Joel's my uh, Joel's uh, the—he's the Captain Kirk to my Spock. So uh, we—it's the thick of it, set in the back room of a Premier League football team, a fictional Premier League football team, but based in the real world of the Premier League. So what we've done—and a few people messaged to try and get this. Information out of this is we've eradicated Southampton from existence, which is horrible. Oh, to do. that's interesting. Yeah. That was what I was wondering. Yeah. and we've put Ashwood, this fictional town, this fictional city in Kent, into uh, into the Premier League.
0: Yeah. I, I just presumed there were twenty-one teams in the Premier no, League, but no, no, no. I, there we go. So Southampton aren't yeah. there? You go. That's, yeah, that's one go. I didn't. There's some know.
2: inside knowledge
0: for you. Uh, I believe Adam that the series was initially visualised literally uh, for television, and I found this clip online. The sound on this video didn't work here uh, probably just as well for this oh, no, podcast no, as really it was full of yeah. profanity scary, uh, also for I some, some reason the video looked bit. particularly shaky on the screen. You can hear Adam but talking to his colleague Joel Emery yes, who is in yes, the front yes, row of the audience. And, and, He's the and, and, co-creator well, and well, writer well, of Joel The Offensive. The interesting, interesting. So Joel on the camera, it's not that dodgy This is just interesting, let's quickly skip off that. How much does TV inspire how you made your audio, how you make your audio? Because it's fly on the wall, mockumentary comedies. You think about The Office, you think about the thick of it. Yeah. Presumably, they were in your mind with the TV version that we just saw a clip from there and, and you know, the podcast
2: that you're now making. Yeah, well, it, the, the podcast came from um, Joel having this idea of the offensive for quite a number of years. And I was at the time I was producing my own podcast that was interviews with actors. It was called Inside the Actor's Studio Flat. So Bad pun there. It was based, based on uh, Inside the Actor's Studio, but just with friends of mine who, uh, as an actor, sort of see uh, work with people who are established and also on the way up. And I find that there's so many interesting different ways of, of getting about. I'm sure you know, generally working with so many actors, there's so many different avenues. And I was producing that at the time, just just as a little passion project of mine. And Joel sort of came to me and said, "Could you?" Do you reckon you could produce this fly on the wall mockumentary style, and I just thought as a challenge, what a challenge! Because I'm, you know, feel like I'm stealing a living being sat here, but there's 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 so much passion that goes into making the offensive, and I thought it's it's good because we don't with with, with TV, obviously the budget is insane. We can't put Ashwood City playing into Milan. Because so we don't have the budget to even, we've barely got the budget to produce our own shirts to sell. So, but with audio, they can be anywhere.
3: And that's but don't play. you think that's the magic of audio? Absolutely. Is, is that um, when, when have you ever come across a successful movie or television series about sport? Yeah. Because exactly. you, can't, you, no. you can't see it. No, I
2: no, mean, you, you can't see
3: it. Whereas it's all in your head. Yeah. I mean, you can play, yeah, yeah, you can play Inter Milan or Mars if you like. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the theatre of the mind, as, as they say. Yeah. One thing, um, Adam, about podcasts and, and how you promote yourselves is that the name and the artwork for the audio mm-hmm. are kind of key. Uh, you called your podcast The Offensive, which mm-hmm. is a reference, if you listen, to the name of Ashwood City's American owner's five-year plan for success. But presumably, it was also partly a, a play on words because it's full of foul mouth tirades in every episode.
2: Yeah, yeah, far too many. It's awful. But yeah, that, that, that's yeah, it's got a double meaning.
0: Brilliant. And, 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 but the fact that it's a podcast, I mean, you can have foul mouth tirades. Yeah, the and,
2: and, and there's a warning at the beginning. So if people are offended, we're like, it is, that is the name of the show. It is called The Offensive. So yeah, we're not, we're not offending people for the sake of offending people.
3: I cut out a bloody today in a script. Did you? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to say what we had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't think you cut out no, much.
0: No, we script. really don't. No. <laughs> how funny. I, I wanted to ask you, Adam, how long it takes to create an episode of, of your podcast. What's the breakdown of the processes involved? Presumably, it starts with a broad story arc. Yes. But, and, and then, by the sounds of being, Joel will write up an episode in the script. Is that how yeah, that works?
2: Absolutely. And then, any, any sort of additions will get added in the room when we record. I, I direct the episodes as well as as well as being in them as one of the one of the principal characters. But uh, obviously, if people are knowledgeable about football, they know what's happening with Manchester City at the moment, and that happened that. That news, I think, dropped towards the end of the week, where we'd already got that week's episode in the can, and it was just like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because it's it's too big a story. <coughs> it's national news. So we ha- we we go week to week. There's a broad a broad arc, and we go week to week with with, with the storylines to fit in what's happening with the Premier League that week, and uh, that's where Joel really uh, wears out his typing fingers in terms of uh, writing the storylines. And yeah, I think. Uh, we try and record two or three episodes at once. It was, it was um, quite refreshing to hear you talk, Jeremy, about actors availability, because obviously it happens to everyone. With, with us, we, we obviously don't have much of a budget, but we have, to, we have to juggle around with that as well. And last week, for instance, last week's episode, I recorded half of it on, on the cruise ship in New Zealand, sent it to Joel... Paul has been in New Zealand before, and there's another character. Some of us links to New Zealand, isn't there? But yeah, three of us were in New Zealand, but in different parts of New Zealand. Sending them back to Joel to then um, have a look at, because I didn't have good enough equipment to do the full edit. Um, Mm. So it's always it's always a matter of circumstance. Really, there'll be some episodes you think they're in the same room, and we would just.
3: But don't you think it's interesting? I mean, I think that's one of the things I love about uh, audio. You can be topical. And yeah. it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard work, but it's not backbreaking. No. I worked on EastEnders, um, and they wanted to put in a topical reference to um, one of Gordon Brown's budgets. And it looked, it felt like three months' work to get a four-second insert yeah. into the thing. Whereas, you know, there was a, there was a strand on Radio 4 um, that we ran where basically we, didn't, we, we sat down with um, a, a producer, a writer, and um, a journalist sat down on Monday... To work out what we were going to broadcast on the Saturday, fifteen-minute play, and you could do it, yeah. and we put topical inserts. In. So you you can be topical. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a bit scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it it's can't. a bit like being on the on 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 the Pepsi Max big one or something. But yeah. Yeah.
2: we we don't want to forsake the storyline just to be topical as well. But sometimes people. Especially, it, we, we find that people discover it quite late and then they binge, mm. you know. We, we, we didn't make it to be bingeable, but apparently it is, so that's good. Because there are only 20 to 25-minute episodes. Yeah. So you can, you can get through it. It wouldn't take you as long to get through the back catalogue as <laughs> The uh, No, the not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, not quite there yet, but who knows? Six that's, months. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Presumably... Um, the, the the three main characters, you being one of them. Uh, yeah. uh, the other actors, I think, are Helena Doughty and, and Paul Waggot. Yeah. You generally try to get together to record. Oh,
2: absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: but my show. my keen audio ear thinks that maybe some people send in recordings from elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's subtle, but I, I partly I I just wondered about how you would make something like that.
2: Yeah. It's just a, it's just a case of not having not having the budget to. Be able to afford a studio constantly, mm. and like we say, we do, try and do two, three, or four episodes in, in one go. But sometimes we have to. We will cheat it by, well, now they're on the phone. You know, we, yeah. so we
0: can. This is it. You, yeah. When you hear someone on the phone and you wonder why they're on the phone, I, I partly think I'm yeah. thinking maybe they're recorded somewhere different. It sounds a bit different. Yeah, so that's, yeah. That's, I've, that's had,
2: I've like. had my, my the, the character I play is an, a, 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 a psychopath. He's he's insane, but he's, yeah. a, he's a lovable madman. But I was um, based on. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, we, uh, any, any, any fans of Malcolm Tucker? I'm sure you can uh, find the similarities there. But um, I was uh, recording some lines. Uh, I guess the polite way to say is effing and blinding at, at LAX airport, and people thought, "What's going on over there?" Like, you know, this was about three days ago, when I was just had four hours to kill. I thought well, I'll get some lines done. saying something to a corner on a phone, swearing, and Scotch people think, "What is what is he doing?" But that's that's part of the fun of it for us. I think it's just. Um, and then then when we can sit back and listen to an episode I think, apart from Terry, no one's going to know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's <no>, fine. <laughs> we can be happy about, about the way that we can uh, juggle our, even our own availability, really.
3: But don't you think it's also interesting about audio is... Audio's about content. Absolutely. Forget what he's saying. But, I mean, it's you know, it, 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 if the story's working, if the character's working, you're there. Yeah. Whereas I think one of the problems uh, I, I find with film and television, it's about special effects. Yeah. And actually, you know, CGI for radio, perfect.
1: Yeah.
0: The, the offensive is in its second season yes. now. Yes, yeah. Last year, the podcast started receiving support from the London-based podcast production company Stakanov. Yes. Uh, in what ways do you guys benefit from that link-up? Why would you do something like that? Oh
2: well, our listenership was um, minute, mm. and, it, and it, still, it still is in the grand scheme of things. But I remember, I remember being on holiday and calling Joel with so much excitement, saying, "We've had over a hundred listens today," and it was it was so good for us because we. You know, I'd still be editing it in my pajamas. I still do editing. Why not? You know, and uh, when Stakanov got a hold of it, basically, I, uh, it was it was Luke Moore spoke to Joel, who uh, works for the Football Ramble. Any football fans know that, that was one of the first original uh, football podcasts, and they were there before the big podcast boom. And uh, they have a fantastic show and a fantastic following. And they set up this network, and um, I, th- I think Luke called Joel and said, "I've listened to the first three episodes. We like." what are you doing here? And then called in later on in the afternoon and said, well, I've listened to the first 10. We need to talk. And then we got involved. Um, we're under their banner now. And we, our listenership just went up crazy amounts. They've got good links. We, we were able to get an interview on TalkSport. And that, our listenership for that day was a, around about 10,000. So obviously wow. coming from there's you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was big. It was really big for us. And it, and yeah. it still is. It still is. And we get, to, we get to use their facilities. They've got world-class studios up in Highbury which is great for us to use and without the worries of... You know, when you play football as a kid and you have to stop when a car comes by, that's where it's like when we were recording our earlier episodes about the car, forget it, you know, and the budget that we had for the equipment that we have, we've kind of upgraded as, as, as we've gone along. And th- There's still the charm of it being a, a quite a... A, a slapdash production, on, in part. But
3: has it had a negative effect on you as well?
2: And no, it hasn't actually, because it's with us kind of balancing everything else in, in our lives, it's been nice to think, right? At least we've got three hours to sit down and get.
3: But does it come with strings attached?
2: And no, not necessarily. No, we've done quite well. I think it was, I think it was just a love for the project that they had, that they shared with us, and um, yeah, we're, we're, we're very happy at the moment. Very, very content and. Um, Looking forward to the future, it's it's given us the, the ability to not worry about specific uh, specifics that we did worry at first. It was like, oh my god, we've got we've got to release an episode tomorrow, and we don't have you know we don't have a room. We we know we were booking studios where in our budget, and then there'd be a train going over because it was underneath an arch. Where would you put a studio in there? They said it was soundproof, it wasn't soundproof. No. So we're supposed to be on the football training ground that has a train going over you. I don't think many Premier League teams play. On the train stations. No, not yet. <laughs> yeah. um, um,
0: radio programs get the benefit of, of being trailed at various other times in the radio mm-hmm. station's schedule to, to raise awareness and, and bring an audience. Obviously, uh, some people will listen to a radio program because they were listening to the one before.
1: Yeah.
2: But
0: one way that you guys, because obviously you can't do that, but you seem to raise the awareness of the offensive is uh, you use your social media posts. Yes. And uh, here's an example. At this point, I'm sharing a goal celebration video that Ashwood City uh, published uh, when their striker, Willie Amadou, so fictional, City scored SC, a goal. The football team that doesn't exist has its own page yes. um, on Twitter with posts and videos. They get a lot of interaction from listeners. Yes. You've got something around like 40,000 followers on Twitter. Yes. Um, there's there's one of your goal celebration videos. There are many others. Most are really not safe for public lectures I don't, you've universities. You've picked such a safe one. Yeah, well i picked done. a very safe well one. Done. But they replicate what teams like my team, Crystal Palace, put out on Twitter. Right. So it, when I see that, it seems very familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though you're, you're obviously putting your there's own there, fun spin on it.
2: There's comedy to be found there, because you see, you see they, they try and make, they're just try, trying to make footballers into celebrities, obviously, because David Beckham was such a good footballer and such a good celebrity, if, if that's a thing you can be good at. But obviously, you know, he, he transcended that. Like George Best, and, and whereas now you see Tottenham Hotspur score, Harry Kane scores for Tottenham Hotspur, and they put a goal gif out of him awkwardly going... <laughs> yeah. it doesn't look good no. so we thought we need to, we need to well, there's comedy there for the visual aspects of it because this has only been for the second season for mm. the first season we were just so focused on, on on everything as we should have been and then we thought what can we do to just kind of make our online presence you know e- even more so and we designed these uh, gold gifts and we wanted them to look decent you know look, that could be I support Huddersfield Town mm. long suffering Huddersfield Town supporter and God, it's a bit of a
3: sad, sad I, panel, I know, isn't it? It, yeah, it really is, isn't it? It really is,
2: and um, it is at the moment, anyway. And um, uh, some of their gifts, I, I think. Well, we've put more effort into our, mm. you know, into our fictional team guests. and I don't mean to, you know, belittle be <laughs> sure. my, my beloved Huddersfield town, but we wanted them to look good, but with comedy elements. And like one of the first gifts we ever put out was a red card. Mm. Uh, why would a Why would a team celebrate a red card? But well, they did. It was an actor, it's actually Joel, um, uh, telling the ref where to go politely. And that, that was one of our gifts, I sort of think. Or uh, an offside goal, a VAR decision. Obviously, VAR's been sort of a huge thing about football this season. And, um, you know, just using, using the goal gif uh, media uh, to, for things that a team wouldn't really do. You know? Sure. So, yeah.
0: No, it's, it's a lot of fun. But you also, um, your podcast, the Offensive Podcast, has its own Twitter page separate to the football team's page and you generate slightly different content, like some behind-the-scenes footage. Here I tried to show some behind-the-scenes footage, which, again, didn't work properly. However, for your benefit, here's a short sound clip.
1: All right, what are you two talking about?
2: Woody Spidey Sense.
0: Oh, yeah?
1: You're going to come sit down? The second half is about to kick off. Or...
2: <laughs> <laughs> or not I don't know I don't know I don't know
1: or England <laughs> yeah
2: and we'll go from the top again
0: and, and presumably you're looking to put more videos out there to attract an audience
2: yes absolutely yeah, yeah we're, we're working on we get a lot of requests for behind the scenes footage because it's it's so it's so coarse it's so it, you know it, it, it's good fun we never we never um, we never strive to be anything else but just good fun for the listener and just being able to poke fun at all football, not just not just the odd team. It's easy to poke fun at Chelsea. It's easy to mm. poke fun at Arsenal, Crystal Palace. But you know we can uh, we we can poke fun at, at everyone. And I think people like to get but involved not Southampton. At, but not Southampton. No, not, they, don't, they exist. don't exist. They don't exist. But yeah, I think and and coming back to the Twitter um the Twitter point that you made, people like to get involved with it, and it, it, it's so fun for us to read. Get notifications on what what people are like arguing amongst themselves about who had the better game of these fictional players it makes our job so much easier yes can... and then
0: you retweet it yeah
2: exactly yeah, yeah yeah and, it, and it's good fun we, we enjoy that it's just um and it's, it's been great for me to have another team to focus on apart from Huddersfield Town yeah. <laughs> yes one in the Premier League yeah, yeah that's yeah. good um so <laughs> alright <all> right. <laughs> oh, that, that was bomb yeah, oh, no, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, let's, let's say uh, Adam that you've got someone watching you now could you write Crystal Palace that, next? <laughs> yeah do you know what yeah, yeah you wait yeah, not anymore Ashwood
2: 6 Palace nil Yes, that'll
0: happen. Uh, so let's say, Adam, you've got someone watching you now, perhaps, say, somebody who is highly involved in the BBC Radio 4 audio and fiction scene, uh, and they liked what you were doing and wanted you to adapt the podcast or make something new for traditional radio audiences. Mm. Is that, for you guys, an appealing prospect, or is part of the thrill podcasting and not being linked to a radio station? No, not at
2: all. It's just, this just came from a love of telling stories. Joel, Joel is a writer... Uh, first and foremost, and first and foremost i 'm an actor and director, so we're just it 's a natural collaboration and it 's just uh, football is something that we 're both passionate about and it was uh, there was a, a, a niche and i think you 've got to find your audience know your audience and there is people i, I think when we took it to some some TV executives had it a few years ago when we had originally written it as a as a sitcom, and they said we're not sure the audience is there. Mm-hmm. And we begged to differ because TV networks spend billions on the rights to football. Look at what BT Sports spend on the Champions League. Sure. You know, so the audience is there, and it doesn't have to be your local, uh, it doesn't have to be your local pub or your local hooligans being you know, oh lads, lads, lads. There is there are thinking men, are th- thinking men and women who are into the game, and yeah. that's what we like to. Um, that's kind of our audience, you know, able to, able to laugh at yourself and, and your own team. So it's easy as a Huddersfield fan, but yeah. It's, yeah that kind of thing.
0: Before I open the floor to the audience, a question I have as a listener to your podcast is Dave Hogg. Yes. Who is he? So like, I, I, if you listen to the podcast, occasionally in recent episodes a player has appeared who gets lots of mentions, uh, occasionally referred to as Wee Davey Hogg, yeah, um, yeah. who's a promising young player. Yeah. But, but, but presumably, you've come up with this character for a reason, because he does get more mentions than the other players.
2: It's quite a sweet, quite a sweet answer, hopefully. Um, uh, uh, Paul, who plays Patrick Nolan, he did a... Um, he ran the half marathon for Mind Charity, for Mental Health Charity, and basically, we, we, we used our platform to say, Paul's running marathon and if anyone wants to uh, donate any 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 money to him uh, you'll be within the chance of having a character in the show named after you and dave hogg from detroit i think it's from detroit michigan he entered and he is now the proud owner of our right back who's always injured and uh, yeah poor lad. but yeah so it's I, I guess it was just a way to pay you know it's no it's it, it doesn't make a difference to us it's sure just, it, it's fine it was, it was nice and He's engaged, and it's just another character. We don't focus too much on the players. It's no. more about the backroom stuff, so as, as you know, as a listener. Um, it'd be very easy. We wanted to stay away from any football cliche, you know, star striker, the, the winning penalty, and all that stuff that you just see in fictional sport that just doesn't, it's not real. No one talks like that. No one says, oh, we're playing the Reds this weekend. No one says that. <laughs> you, you know, so we wanted to make sure that we kept that authenticity, and uh, Things like having—I mean, Joshua Nakatomi is another name up there. Yeah. That's named because we did a Christmas special that was based on Die Hard. That's how ridiculous <laughs> our some of our episodes are. And you know. I just, didn't
3: realise that Die Hard was a soccer movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it is now in this universe. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, well,
0: there's, there's, I'm sure you guys might have questions for Adam as well, but please uh, give a big applause to co-creator of the Offensive Podcast, Adam Jarrell. Uh, So, uh, we've got some time for questions from the audience, and it looks like Serene's got the microphone. Uh, I'm James. I just have a question about um, radio dramas. Um, So if you kind of make one independently, I was just wondering how you'd kind of get that out there and what platforms you put it onto to kind of get an audience, I suppose.
2: Yeah, um, we honestly just... We just put it out there, and we had... um, We just... We had a we had a, tight, a a very very little following from projects that John and I had worked on in the in the past and we, we did a couple of um it was all, it was all on Twitter really wasn't it our, our sort of um, pre-launch and then from our first five episodes we cut together a few different audio clips of about a minute long and just sent sent that away just kept it's just it's just persistence and that's such a cliche answer isn't it but it, it really is true we just we just kept throwing enough of it at the wall and hoping some of it would stick, basically. And and then, um, lo and behold, some people caught hold of it. And I I think confusion was a good thing for us because we'd we'd always... When when Ash would play, for instance, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ash would play Bournemouth and we tag Bournemouth Social media is such a massive thing for football. It's weird. So we, we tag Bournemouth, in there it? And all of a sudden you get Bournemouth fans going, oh, uh, no, we played West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, and, we, and, and so people get intrigued by that and thinking, what, what is this? So we had that angle as well to go with, but we knew our audience. We knew our audience before episode one was written. We knew who we were making this for. And I think we, we approached them rather than approaching the usual lad accounts, which is, you know, it's fine, but we, we wanted to approach people who... You know, that, that, that kind of thinking man, thinking man, thinking woman. So, um.
3: But speaking as a former commissioning editor, I mean, I think there are two things that stand out. Um, one is it's a really good subject. Um, and it's a good, good subject which will grab an audience mm. and you're passionate. That's the other one. Yeah. It's passion. Mm. Thank you,
0: Jay. Thank you.
2: Hello there. Uh, introduce yourself, please. Hello, uh, I'm Gary from Leighton Buzz Radio. Um, I'd like to question, ask a question to Adam. Just uh, curious why did you pick Southampton to exclude? Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's, not, it's, it's going to be Crystal I'm Palace not, I'm, now. I'm not yeah. bothered, but I just yeah. wondered why yeah, no, you came it, to that decision. Yeah, Jerry yeah. said, it'll be Palace next week, so Southampton suddenly come back into it. Yeah. Um, we wanted to, um, when, when Joel first came with the idea of Ashwood City, a whole fictional city, we didn't want it to be based in the north. There's, there's, too, there's too, too many neighbouring rivalries uh, you know, you put anywhere in Lancashire, you're going to have Man United, Man City knocking on your door. You put them in London, there's too much going on. There's no Premier League teams in Kent. And there's only <laughs> one football team I can think of, which is Gilligan. We're playing League Two at the moment, I think. Uh, sorry for saying Gilligan fans, and I got that wrong. Um, so we just, we basically wanted someone along the South Coast who, at the time, weren't doing anything exciting. I think they had Mark Hughes as their manager, and we were like, oh, you know. So we, uh, I, I think... It, that's why we did it, wasn't it? it was, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was uh, for, for no, no malice. We're just like, we're, it's going to be easier, for, rather than going for 21 teams in the Premier League, it's going to be easier to just take, I think, well, if you're, anyone remembers the Sky One show, Dream Team, uh, where they were at Harchester, I don't know yes. where they were based, they eradicated Everton. And for me, that, you can't be that. Like, they, they're, they're <laughs> a lot more going for them than Southampton, no offence. But um, uh, yeah, so that, that's why we chose Southampton. I guess
0: the challenge would be
2: if Southampton get
0: relegated from the Premier League, what do you do then? Yeah,
2: don't, because we've had emergency yeah. <laughs> meetings about that. Yeah, if I, if I may just ask one other question to the whole panel, really. Um, where do you see the future going for podcasts and linear radio? Is it, do you see a crossover or do you see one taking over more? How do you see that going?
3: Oh, there's a question. I wonder if, if Jeremy's got an answer to that. The BBC has put a lot of money and effort and heft into sound. Um, and it kind of needs it to be successful. So you can see where the BBC thinks the future is. But I think the um, the, the interesting thing about I mean, I've worked in radio on and off for a long time, is that uh, the, and I've worked in television as well, and you've seen the television audience go like that um, for the terrestrial channels. And the radio audience has kind of gone like that, but I think as long as the stations are good and they 're doing good stuff i th- i think I think radio is a is a is a pretty difficult habit to kick and i th- I see no reason why the two can't completely coexist um Some of the best programs on Radio Four are a podcast as well, and there'll be a two way traffic. I think some of the best podcasts will end up on. On 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 big linear stations, mm. um, but, uh, I think you've got to be good, and I, I think it's uh, it, it's interesting when I when I when I first became a radio producer, um, I was in the theatre people said, "What are you doing that for?" And it and when I got to the BBC, I think yeah, maybe you've got a point actually because it, 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 the, the, they were ringing the kind of death knell of radio um, at the BBC. Um, it survived, obviously. And then I, 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 I went and worked in television for ages. And then when I came back to um, uh, the Radio 4 commissioning job, which is kind of my next job in radio, no one in the BBC said, Well, what are you going to do That? Why, why are you going to radio? Radio was sexy uh, in a way that television isn't. And I think, the, and I think the, the last five years, the explosion in creativity in the audio sector is just phenomenal. And it always struck me as odd that there was no guerrilla... I, 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 I spent a lot of time working short films, and short films are kind of a code for this is how you get to become a film director, really. And you know, guerrilla filmmaking 15, 20 years ago was really, really... Was, was, was pushing at the door, pushing at the door. And I, I was mystified when I went into radio why that there's no guerrilla radio um, uh, audio-making and it's arrived, absolutely it's arrived. Because I think the great thing about um, audio is what you need is you need a good script, you need good actors, and you need someone who can can mix the sound, that's all you need. And it's very, very simple, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you can do it so fast.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Um, I'm trying to rattle through a few more questions before we go, it looks like
0: um, my former colleague Janie Gordon's got the microphone, hello Janie.
1: Hello. Um, Yes, I'm, I'm Janie Gordon. Uh, i have just one time at the University of Bedfordshire. Um, so to both of you, uh, it was very interesting what you were saying about the radio listenership, which taken as a whole has not particularly dropped significantly over the, uh, over the years. However, there is great concern in the industry uh, about the 15 to 24 audience, which is tailing off dramatically um, at, at the moment. They're listening to all sorts of things, but radio is actually declining. So how is radio drama going to address that particular demographic? The 15 to 24-year-olds who are now 15 to 24, but also the 5 to 15-year-olds who in the next decade will be coming online. How is podcasting and radio going to get them listening to radio drama? And just, you know, for the sake of it, if you've got any nice ideas off the top of your head, how would you attract them? You've got ideas you know, that you could attract them with.
3: It's interesting. Most, most of the audio drama um, on the BBC um, is on Radio 4. Um, the average age of the audience for Radio 4 is somewhere like 56. Um, and there's some on Radio 3 where I think the average age of the audience is uh, quite a bit higher. And so it's not like that, area. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, the radio's not losing that, that audience significantly at the moment. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is, um, but there are people um, with considerably bigger brains than I've got who are thinking, what do we do, what do we do? And you know, I, think, I think, you know, the, the, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know, don't know what the light is. However, in terms of audio drama, I mean, I think that the big thing that podcast needs is uh, look at the way the Sopranos suddenly rocketed HBO onto a global stage. Look at the way Game of Thrones is another one, which just transformed the landscape. Um, the, who, who watched? Who even heard of Netflix? And then The Crown came along. Um, I don't know what it is, but what podcasting needs is a big hit, and it, it, it'll happen because I think there's enough. There's a there's a there's a big enough pond of creativity to create to, and audio is sexy. It will happen. It will happen. Yeah. It will happen. Yeah. Um, and you kind of think, so maybe Neil Gaiman, for example, his next project will be a podcast project. And you just know that if it was, it would seize the high ground, yeah. I think.
2: I think it's fascinating how many people, even people uh, mine, I'm 32, some people oh, I don't really know how to get into podcasts. But it's, it's so funny because it, it's, uh, it's free. And that—that's that, one of the biggest things that I always think—it's—it's it's all there. It's all available. You don't have to. Even with Netflix, some people, especially uh, spoke, preaching to the converted, we talking to students. Sometimes you just can't afford stuff. And uh, I remember net, the big what you were saying about uh, what the surprise for HBO, the big draw to Netflix for me was Breaking Bad. And I remember just watching that and thinking, "Oh my God, Netflix, this new thing that's found. And uh, I think coming to what Jeremy said about about that, especially for the uh, for the age groups you were saying, we, I, I'm—I think it will take. It would probably take parents to say, to, to put it on in the car, or to put it on, on on a journey, rather than it's a bigger issue. But rather than putting an iPad in front of a kid's face, to put a, put headphones on and be like, listen to these stories. That are, I remember having stories on on cassette when I was a kid that I listened to all constantly. I had one, I had like a, an audio one about um, Batman, and it, for me it was just I would just be just amazing. I, it, it, I didn't have to didn't have to have the images, and that's the. That's the beauty of audio, really. To, to, to
3: I think play. you're right. I mean, uh, it's about storytelling, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. you know, you, 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 we like to listen to stories. You know, at your mother's knee, on yeah. your mother's knee.
2: Yeah.
3: I'm I'm conscious of the
0: time, so let's see if we can squeeze in two questions if we can get some quick answers. So it looks like you've already got one, and then I'll let you pick the final one afterwards. So, uh, who who's next?
1: Hi, my name's Vanessa, and just following on from um, the comment regarding young people, and that age range, and um, podcasting. I'm actually starting a youth podcast. The challenge I'm having, um, I work with a lot of teens, 13, 16, but many haven't heard or or don't even know what a podcast is. Um, So my question was really around, um, what I'm hearing today is about drama. What I was going to do was more around um, issues that matter to them. So I'm, I'm kind of seeking advice. With that age group, what would be the best route to take?
0: In terms, of, in terms of getting an audience? Or yes. A, okay, yeah. So how, how, would, how do you have tried to get young people to listen
3: to podcasts? Wow. I think I, it goes back to my, my previous answer, to be honest, is um, what, what it needs is a big hit. Um, it's telling stories that people want to hear. And Breaking Bad's a very good example, I think. Yeah. Um, probably not right for the... 14-year-olds. Probably but. not. That's
0: <coughs> <laughs> So, okay, and, and then one last question, if you'd introduce yourself. There will be, hopefully, some time where you can have a brief chat with these guys uh, in a short while, but one last question.
3: Yeah, hi, I'm, uh, my name's Toby Norways. I run the screenwriting, for, or scriptwriting, should I say, for uh, uh, University of Bedfordshire. Um, it's mainly addressed to Jeremy, but feel free to pitch in. But um, could you just talk a little bit about other opportunities for writers um, on radio, uh, BBC Radio Drama, uh, the other slots that inexperienced so writers might break into? Yeah, um, things are changing slightly on Radio 4, so I'm slightly, I'm, I'm slightly out of that loop. But um, uh, when I was commissioning, which is only 18 months ago, we had a commitment to um, commission 45-minute dramas, probably about between 25 and 40, depending on what was coming in, by first or second-time writers. Um, and if you want to break into ra- first or second-time writers to radio, if you want to break into um, uh, um, audio drama on, on Radio 4, I, that's the slot to, 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 to target. Um, and my advice to any writer who wants to um, break into it is listen to, to it so you get a sense of what it's doing. But the most important thing that you need to do is listen out for the producer's name at the end, because if you think that was good and it's something you you kind of oh yeah I wish I wish I, I could be involved in that, um, that sounds like a good producer. You want to then lock onto that producer like a kind of laser-guided missile and just try and get them to know, get them into your um, get yourself onto their wavelength. I think the forty-five minute um, slot is is the best is the best place to target. If you want to write for Radio 4. Fantastic.
0: Um, I'm getting waved that one last question after all. Go on, who's who's next? I'm
3: afraid that was me, I'm sorry about that. One for Jeremy, really. Um, We're talking about topicality, and on occasion in the Arches, you do a drop in at, at short notice. What are the criteria for ripping things up and doing a drop in? So the last one was. So, 14 months ago, we had massive plans as to what to do on the day the, um, the UK left the EU. Um, and on something like January the 15th, the editor, i.e. me, said, this is a bit of a show, isn't it? We don't know what is going to happen because we were going to hold a big Brexit party in the bull, um, and then it became quite evident that things weren't happening quite right. And after that, I mean, I, I, I then I then spoke to uh, editorial policy um, as to how the archers would cover Brexit um, in certain manifestations as as, as 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 Britain was arsing around, frankly. Um, and he said, "Well, basically, what you need is you need about five variations. At which point." I kind of lost interest because you can't do five variations. Anyway, the last topical insert we did, we decided that the archers would mark the introduction of the new 50 pence piece. It was pretty small scale, but we decided um, about 10 days before the... It was Friday Friday a week ago. About 10 days before, that's what we'd do. Um, because we hadn't... I basically turned my back on Brexit because it was, just, it was just too difficult. It was just too, too difficult because, you know, you know it's like herding cats. <clears throat> anyway, so we had this 50 pence Brexit thing. Um, and um, we were recording it on the Thursday for Transmission on the Friday. Um, um, uh, and the entire recording schedule had been completely screwed over by Storm Kira which hadn't got a mention in The Archers. Not only had he not got a mention in The Archers, it's very difficult to mention the weather in a program, which is, that's what farmers are obsessed with, (coughs) the weather. But if you're recording a program five weeks in advance, you can't really talk about it. Anyway, on the Sunday of Storm Kira, there was a really rather lovely scene, I seem to recall, of Linda Snell and Robert Snell um, admiring the garden and the weather and how beautiful and spring was on its way kind of thing. Ah! So... We decided that in that topical insert, we'd also um, put in a reference to Storm Dennis, which was on the way. Oh, Ambridge missed Storm Kira, but Storm Dennis <laughs> is on the way. Um, so so it was on Thursday, uh, Thursday at 10 o'clock, I signed off the script. Fine. Um, I went into a meeting, um, and I came out of the meeting at 11.30, by which time... Um, half the cabinet had gone, so we had we had a five-line scene, five-line thick bit of a scene that we were excising, in which we got a reference to Storm Dennis, Storm Kira, the fifty pence piece, and the fact that the cabinet had disappeared. I thought that was triumphant. <laughs> and, um, it's easy. It's really
0: easy. <laughs> I think I think that's about all we've got time for. So. Uh, thank you very much uh, for being here at this Speds Talks recording of Fantastic Noise at the University of Bedfordshire. A big thank you to you all for joining us. Uh, do follow us on social media, at a fantastic noise, so you can catch the final version of this podcast when we publish it in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, a massive thanks to our guest today, Jeremy Howe, the editor of BBC Radio 4's The Archers. And also to Adam Jarrell from the Offensive Podcast as well. Uh, as a token of our appreciation, one of my students, Anthony here, is bringing on boxes of chocolates for both Jeremy and Adam, much Thank to Jeremy's you for delight. For coming this evening. <laughs> uh, whilst he's doing that, a special thanks to the University of Bedfordshire's events team for making this Beds Talk event possible. Particularly Rosie Monroe and Jack Stoll. Uh, Keep an eye out for more public lectures hosted by the university soon. A big thanks to Malcolm for working on the sound, and my journalism department colleague Mary Ferguson for her camera work, and to the many students who've helped out with the event today as well. Thank you all. Uh, Our podcast and event artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, that's Stu with a double O, and our theme music is by Liam Ayton, remixed by Daniel Potter, both uh, former students at the University of Bedfordshire. This podcast and Beds Talk event was produced by me in association with the University of Bedfordshire School of Culture and Communications and recorded in the postgraduate and CPD centre of the university on our Luton campus. I'm Terry Lee and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. Thanks for listening to this very special episode of Fantastic Noise recorded in February 2020 at the university's postgraduate building as part of the Beds Talks lecture series. There should be more episodes of the Fantastic Noise podcast released in the summer. For now, bye-bye.